0: Today on the show, Eva Holbrook from the band Shell, and I talk life lessons learned on the road, how she was born in the wrong time period, and so much more on episode 77 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello and welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. I'm your host, Nick Flora, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for listening to A Thing on the Internet. How very millennial of you. This has been a crazy couple weeks for me since you asked. Want to hear about it? Great. Those of you who follow me on social media or those of you who follow me around in the bushes in real life, I uh, already know that last week I launched a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, I can already feel you tuning out. Come closer, come closer. Uh, those Kickstarters for a couple new projects that I've, I've actually talked about on a little bit, alluded to anyway, here on the podcast. Um, th- this specific campaign will cover the cost of three EPs uh, uh, that I will write and record, and that will come out hopefully every few months starting this July. So not far. So if you want to get in on the ground floor of this, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. And I think uh, it's something worth investing in, honestly. Uh, the first one, I've actually started recording this very moment. Uh, and tonally, it's very different. Well, not very, but it's pretty different from anything I've really done before. Uh, in a really great way, I, I, I hope that it gets funded so you can hear it. Um, <laughs> the second EP will be uh, a Christmas-themed EP of originals uh, with my pal, Stacy Lance, who's been on the show a couple times. And uh, the third one... It's going to come out probably around March of next year. It'll be a little bit more stripped down, singer-songwriter, acoustic, piano, vocals, that kind of thing. Um, If you're listening to this and want to help make these EPs a real thing that you can listen to, uh, go pledge now. As of uh, the date of this podcast, uh, there are um, only 16 days left to pledge. So if you're listening to this two weeks after the podcast came out, there's only two days left. You see how I did that math? Um, And if we don't reach the goal of the 16-day mark... Um, you know, all the money goes away. That's how Kickstarter works, which is super sad. I don't know why they do that, but so go check out the incentives for each tier. Every time you pledge a different dollar amount, as a lot of, you know, um, you get different cool things. One of them being that you could be a real live guest on this show and we can talk about everything, anything. You don't have to be a musician or artist. Even uh, you can come on and we'll chat about, you know, your cats or the annoying lady at work, whatever you want to talk about. We'll talk about it. If you're a musician, It's a great chance to get uh, the word out about your music or, uh, you know, if you have a friend who's a musician, you can talk about him. I don't care. You don't have to talk about that guy. You can just talk about you. Anything you want to do. Let's do it. Other incentives, uh, you know, in tears on the Kickstarter include a Skype show. Uh, We can hang out via Skype. Um, uh, A personalized song written by me about you or really anything you want. uh, And I'll, I'll write it and record it and send it to you. Uh, plus limited edition t-shirts and posters. There's so much. So please go to nickflora.com and click the Kickstarter link in the news section on on the site and uh, help me get this thing funded. I know, you know, independent artists can be annoying because we ask for a lot of help from the people who seem to enjoy what they do. But that's why we're independent artists. We just don't, you know, This is we're trying to make it work, uh, you know, making music and, and doing the thing we love. And, you know... We try to give back as much as possible to the people who help us do this. And uh, that's this is my attempt at that. So, okay, enough talking about that, uh, because that's not why you're here. But let me tell you about today's show. I became aware of the band Shell probably earlier this year, maybe late last year, and I was blown away by the talent of these ladies. And I found out that they're playing Escape to the Lake as well over the July 4th weekend, um, which I talked about a little bit last week. With the Vespers, they're playing it. Bilal is playing it. Justin McRoberts, Krista Wells, a plethora of others uh, who have been on the show. It's going to be a really great time. Uh, it, so if you want to, if you want to join us, you're more than welcome to. Um, it's a sort of music festival retreat thing. Krista Wells and myself and a few others are going to do like a songwriting retreat where we, you know you can bring your songs in and we'll talk about it and, and write some stuff. And it's really great. So if you want to go to lake.net. And, uh, and, and you want to come to Wisconsin over the 4th of July weekend, we're going to be there. Um, so anyway, back to Shell. I'm so fascinated with them. Uh, they're truly wonderful musicians and great people, and they have a fascinating story and just outlook. And um, so uh, I got the chance to sit down with Eva from the band to chat um, a little while ago, and it was a great talk. It was really lovely. And if you haven't checked out Shell's music after this, uh, you surely will want to. Um, really excellent stuff. So, here's episode 77 My Chat with Eva Holbrook from Shell.
1: Folks were like, Do you know any cool bands? Oh, that's what it was. You have to have the Vespers. Yeah.
0: Amazing. You guys seem like a very like, a perfect fit for, like, of course, like, when they were, like, we're friends with them. Like, of course you are. For whatever reason, I, ma- I mean, clearly you can make, like, the sibling <laughs> correlation, I guess, where, but, but like, even sound-wise, I feel like, oh, that would be a really interesting fit for, like, a show.
1: Yeah. We did, we did a tour together last year. It was, like, a, or we hopped on part of their tour, and it was a blast because they're just, it was fun to play the, together. They're super they're fun. Fun people to hang out with.
0: Yeah. I love that. So, uh... This this is basically just free form conversation, which immediately saying, "Hey, let's have a conversation," immediately puts you into non-conversative mode. But uh, <laughs> like, like it's like whenever you're you're around somebody at a party and you're just like, "This is a really good conversation," like that immediately changes that from being a good conversation to being <laughs> like, "Oh, is that now we have pressure to make it a thing?" But you guys came from Colorado, correct?
1: Yes, we did.
0: And are are you all now based in Nashville?
1: We are, although most of the time, we've been on the road so much the last...
0: So you're kind of everywhere.
1: Yeah, (laughs) mostly we've been living in our van, which sounds really weird, but you do get used to, like, sleeping on people's couches and staying in motels and just living out of your suitcase. That becomes normal. We don't really have a residence, um, but we... Do you like
0: that? Like, just personally you, or would you... Is it one of those things where it's like, this is an adventure for now, but one day (laughs) I would like to... You know, because I know, like, a lot of artists are sort of... We tend to be... Maybe not control freak is too, broad, you know, too uh, mean of a phrase to use, but we like having that kind of control of, of things. And a lot of times touring, you sort of had to throw things up to chance.
1: Absolutely. No, I, the, um, it's more, I think, I didn't enjoy it at first. We've been doing, it's been three years now, we've done heavy touring. And when we first did it, I felt like my heart was being ripped in half. And part of it was because prior to that, we'd grown up on a farm out in Colorado. We were all homeschooled. We were a big family, so we never traveled. I didn't set foot on an airplane until I was like nineteen. Oh, really? Yeah, and 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 the first trip I made was to Nashville, and I knew like when I got here, I was like, "This is where I want to live someday." Mm-hmm. But um, for that for a, a, the year, the first year, I was miserable, and um, I knew this was necessary for my career and for, you know, the things that I've dreamt about since I was a kid, basically. But I couldn't reconcile it. This like intense homesickness, and then. By the second year, I, something changed, and I was just used to it, and I got used to finding community in different towns, and even, like, people who felt like family in different towns, and I really enjoyed hearing people's stories and getting a mm-hmm. broader perspective of humanity and uh, what it means to love somebody and understand someone, which I didn't have, just living uh, the sort of domestic and really sheltered life that especially I've
0: especially homeschooled. Oh yeah, I homeschool for a time too, and there is a sort of like, <laughs> is everybody hanging out without me? Kind of a vibe. <laughs> I mean, you have you have a lot of siblings. I didn't, and so it was this oh. definitely. like, That's why I think I'm so I get excited about touring and traveling and getting out because I wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that I wasn't allowed. I just didn't think that that was an option. And Did you now, like
1: being homeschooled.
0: No. <laughs> really, See,
1: I, I loved it, but I'm an introvert, and it suited me well. I am
0: too. Oh. I just, <clears throat> I liked that I had like, I liked portions of it, and I should say I didn't homeschool the entire way. I went to public school until tenth grade, oh. and then I and then I, I homeschooled through high school, uh, because I was like a super rebel and would pop my collar up. No, I I just <laughs> didn't do well in school. My mom always wanted to try it, but uh, I don't know. There's I have friends and family that homeschool, and they kind of feel the same way, where there was. There was, there was always this sense of, of uh, I don't know, being different. Like, a yeah. uh, feeling like, oh, like, I feel like I'd, have, I'd be more well-rounded if, you know, I did all these sort of classic school, you know, like homecoming or field day or all the different <laughs> stuff. Did you ever, did you feel that at all? Like, did you miss that or?
1: You know, what's strange is I think the girls did, especially Hannah and Sarah. I never felt it because I had this strange sense that I was just living in a alternative um <laughs> lifestyle that i really enjoyed where i was like oh well i'm done with my school i'm gonna go garden uh-huh. i'm gonna go build a fort i'm gonna go make music you know i'll yeah. paint like all these other fancies that i had I, for building I class
0: take. uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quilt making gardening class you can make all those i remember my mom being like that like if i was playing guitar for you know my room for an hour or whatever she'd be like oh that's songwriting class and she would mark it down on the like transcript that she made
1: oh that's great Oh, things only homeschoolers really understand. I know
0: it's so true, and I I (laughs) I poke fun at homeschooling on uh, on stage, and people get really offended until you sort of can say like, no, I'm one, I'm one of you guys. I am. I get it, (laughs) even if it was just for a time. There's still you guys. Ooh, (laughs) oh yeah, that's a trope. You're not supposed to say that's a faux pas. Mm. You guys, you weirdos, you (laughs) wonderful, and you know. But there was there is something to what you were saying about going on the road, and it is such an interesting unique specific thing to the touring musician where you do feel like you make friends everywhere you go yeah. and then when you go back through that city you're sort of like oh i hope so and so and so can make it you know and and then you catch up and it's for a lot of people anyway it's like time never you know stopping you know you get to catch up with their lives from the last six months from when you were there whatever and now with social media it's even easier than ever but you know when i first started 10 years ago or whatever it was the birth of that yeah. Which is really cool, you know, and also people get to follow you throughout your career and sort of see, you know, different sides to you, or whatever. So is there is there something specifically that you had from touring like that you had to sort of get used to that you maybe didn't like at first that you now embrace?
1: You know, um one of the hardest things I think was getting enough to eat and, and scheduling. What was strange was because we were, we've we always done, like, our own tour managing and things like that on the road. We um, reached this point where it was like, we'd do a late show. We'd need to get up early the next day and drive to the next show. And in between there, the first year we did it, we all of us came home so malnourished because we just wouldn't eat. Like, there was no time. It'd be like, I'm hungry. Like, we can't stop. We'll miss soundcheck.
0: Yeah, that's so, right. Soundcheck is always dinner uh, time. Yeah. You know, you get on the road around lunch. Sometimes, you know, it's, yeah, it Unless you – that's either that case where you're, like, 400 pounds because you keep driving through places. Like. I
1: know. Well, we're all, like, very conscious about our right. eating habits. So, like, all of us would just be like, oh, gas station food? No, thanks. I'd rather just die. I'd rather so. not regret this decision
0: in 30 minutes. Yeah.
1: But we – and we all have some um, food allergies too, which makes it a challenge. Oh, my gosh. I, I just basically – high-maintenance people like us shouldn't travel. It's kind of <laughs> –
0: <laughs> and you've made it your job.
1: I know. I was thinking about it. I was like introverted high maintenance people in a van together traveling for hours and hours. It's mm-hmm. just, but we, I mean, I love it. It's all worth overcoming because playing for, um, you know, playing for people is one of the best feelings in the world. And I really, it's worth it to me. It's all worth it. And, um. It gets easier every year, which is a big relief. That the more you do it, the more you learn, Mm. and um, the easier it is to handle, and the more people you meet, and the more excited you are about doing it. So, I'm all of those little complaints can just go away.
0: I know (laughs) it's. I always say that if if the love for it like outweighs the sort of a little annoyances that come along with it, like then you're winning. Got to keep going because there's. I know people who just get so downtrodden by the idea of even getting in the car and traveling, you know, an hour to play a show. I'm like, well, maybe there's another aspect of this performance, artistic lifestyle that better suits you. You know, not everybody's built for, for touring, but...
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Was there anything that you sort of had to learn really quickly? Did you like it, Whether it's from you guys playing shows, you know, there's a lot of, like, quote-unquote rookie mistakes that sort of get made. <laughs> rookie
1: mistakes. I is love there, that is, expression. Is
0: there any, like, example <laughs> of that where you're like, oh, we will never do this again, like, on stage or otherwise?
1: Off the top of my head, um... A fighting that's a big one especially for siblings is something you learn really quick not to fight in public and at the same time the more that we've kind of toured the more we've realized it's also really important for us to fight because we're four very different individuals and if one of us becomes overbearing it just creates a miserable environment and beyond that if you have some sort of resentment built up against somebody or several somebody's in your band yes. it you know it Makes it very hard to have a good and sincere performance that night. So for us, we you know when we get in the van, a lot of times we just we fight, and it's but it's like good like get it out and be like, hey,
0: the therapy session.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's it's really funny, but it's amazing how necessary it is. And I, I had to have a, um, I remember talking to Hannah at one point, my older sister, and being like, we need to fight, dude, because <laughs> at some points like I get overbearing, and we both get miserable, and I just like need you to like put your foot down and be Mm. like, absolutely not. And, um, and let's fight about it because otherwise this is, it'll just pretty much destroy the dynamic of individuals working together. If you don't fight.
0: Yeah. Well, communication is key. Yeah. And I've definitely been in bands in the past that that didn't happen and you don't last very long because resentments build really quick and you guys don't really have the luxury, uh, (laughs) because you are also a family.
1: Yeah. And it, it, I think also when you're really passionate about things, it's not like it's bad fighting it's like you all have the same goal but Mm. you may not agree on how to get there or what's most important and so you have to fight
2: (laughs) When love becomes the one thing of death
0: discussion as far as the goals or did you just kind of like let it go day by day kind of like lead you to where you were going or was there like okay guys if we're gonna do this (laughs) we gotta like make a master plan like sort of or was or was it just like hey so-and-so asked me to play this show oh we got another one we got four more Did did it go organically like that or was there like a grand sort of you know meeting
1: you know honestly we were we were too ignorant to have a plan. We had no idea how the music business worked. We had this theory that if you worked really hard for long enough something would happen and that's still like my philosophy. That's a good today. theory. Yeah. yeah. And um inevitably that did end up bringing us connections and it happened in a really roundabout way. Our parents just knew like they were like, "Well, one of the things you have to do is tour. I don't know how you do that, but we're going to try." So mm-hmm. they just like booked us in coffee shops in Missouri and Nebraska, and that was as far as we'd really ever traveled before. And we were like, oh, this is so exciting. We're in Missouri. We're in Missouri. <laughs>
0: Nobody's ever been excited to be in Missouri. You guys we were, like, were yes. so excited.
1: <laughs> and we played these little coffee shops. And because of that, we met a gentleman, and it would have been like our second tour. We'd just gotten to these two-week tours over the summer as a family band and um we met a gentleman who knew a gentleman in Colorado and he's like I really want to introduce you to my friend and it didn't end up happening for two years so two years after that we were doing these kind of little tours and then um it finally did happen and this guy came to our party and he was a radio host and he said well I I know this um producer in Nashville he has a house in Colorado I'd really like to bring him to your house to hear you play and uh we had no idea what a producer was, or what that meant, or anything, and we were just like, "Ah, oh, yeah, okay." Mm-hmm. So we uh, in- invited uh, our current producer Brent Mayer out to our house, and um, this guy just came into our living room and uh, sat down and listened to us play a couple tunes, and he was like, "Is there anything I can do for you?" And we were like, "Uh, I don't, I don't know, what." is there anything you can do for yeah, us like you we, tell
0: me we, yeah we well, had if you no were I, to do something no for it, like idea. Yeah, no, yeah
1: so he left and um he uh <laughs> we googled him after that and we're like oh my gosh this is a six-time grammy award-winning gentleman yeah. who's like you know worked with ike and tina turner and all these uh bands that we knew and stuff and uh then <laughs> he ended up calling our dad and just like being like basically i want to do an artist development deal with these guys and that was what ended up bringing us to Nashville, but it was funny that we had to go to Missouri to make a connection in Colorado, (laughs) had a connection in Nashville, you know, it's just, you never know how something's going to happen. But I think if you're willing to just do it, just do whatever comes to mind and be like, okay, I'm going to do something because that's better than doing nothing that eventually something works out. Yeah, it's true.
0: Uh, And yeah, keep going is a huge... Just keep going. Like, if you, yeah, keep working, keep pushing. Uh, that is interesting. I, I've thought about this a lot, especially touring and stuff, but like music is essentially this music business or whatever you want to call it. The people who make music don't exist in one place. We kind of like all exist in this other ether sphere. Cause yeah. I've gone to like random places in like Arizona and somebody from that I knew from Nashville was just there. Or play, I played a, a show in Dallas and a buddy of mine who lives down the street from me was in town and popped in, and we just all have this sort of, like, constant... So it isn't so strange to me to hear you be like, yeah, we had to go to Missouri to meet somebody from Colorado. To It's just sort of... Because we're all sort of moving pieces on a chessboard all over the place. Absolutely. Whoever you run into, I'm never surprised we run into any other of my, like, music friends anywhere in the world. It isn't sort of a shock as much as it's such a pleasant surprise because we do exist sort of everywhere, constantly moving. Yeah, So absolutely. you guys have this really interesting... Uh, it sounds like I'm trying to describe like that Full House episode where Stephanie Tanner has like a band that she gets together. Where I say you guys have like a really interesting look. No, but your your sort of like whole like look is uh, it seems like you guys like I don't know how else to say it. It seems like you're like a vaudeville act from like turn of the century.
1: Well, you know, it's strange. I remember th- um we would have these conversations with our dad around the dining room table when we first all started playing music. And he would say things like, these were like little pep talks. He'd say things like, you know, if you girls could learn to get along and if you could work really hard, you could someday be like the Marx Brothers or the Beatles. And you have to understand, those were our idols as the children. The Marx Brothers. Oh, we loved the Marx Brothers and we loved the Beatles. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, we didn't necessarily have... Um, or at least for me personally, I don't remember having like really striking female heroes in my life growing up. They were always groups of um, sort of men, Mm -hmm. like really interesting characters. And um, those were the characters that stood out to me, that these folks had incredible personalities. And so growing up, I just always had, uh, I was always drawn to that sense of fashion, like almost andro, almost... Mm -hmm. And some of the like Edwardian or Victorian men's styles with the top hats and the long coats were just really appealing to me. So um, once we started doing our own music videos, everything was sort of a visual experience for me. I was like, I really want to... Because at the time, our first music video we ever did was sort of static shots because we didn't have anyone to run the camera, but we all had to be in it. (laughs) So I was sitting there thinking, I was like, we just need to look interesting. That will be important because these are static shots. And that was kind of the thought going through my little head. And um, so we started dressing up, and I just went out and bought top hats for everyone and bought, like, black clothes for them and kind of styled the band. And I was like, this is what we want. We want to look, like, you know, slim and black and striking and – and it's kind of progressed as time has gone on, but that was I think that was sort of how it started was just conversations about heroes and um wanting to kind of emulate them.
0: Yeah, you can definitely tell the influence and but more visually than anything it is it is interesting if if you had just chosen like you know how it would have shaped the way people hear your music, if you would have just chosen you know like pitchforks and overalls you know or whatever <laughs> <laughs> like just like, sort of like we're from the farm but you still play these instruments that could be incorporated with you know bluegrass or whatever as well um was it also how it makes sense that you're homeschooled because when you're homeschooled you have a lot of time to just pick up stuff and become good at them right um which is one thing i did like about homeschooling School? what's that i know it's like i want to do this now but and i'm sure you guys have it's it's mentioned almost everywhere you guys are mentioned on the internet, where you guys play a bunch of instruments, and you play a bunch of different things, uh, and you're multi-talented at several different things. Basically, you're just the most talented human beings on the planet. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: that's definitely not true.
0: Is it not? Oh, no. Oh, come on. Well, I thought I was here to interview the most artistic, interesting person on the planet. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's just talk about homeschooling. <laughs> No, there is, but there is, was there sort of, I'll point the question this way, because in my first band, we all thought it'd be cool if we all played every instrument, and it didn't work well, because it would take three minutes to set up between songs, because the singer wanted to play drums on this next one, or whatever, it was a train wreck. So when you guys were sort of playing, was there a lot of, is there a lot of swapping instruments and and that kind of thing? There's not?
1: There's no swapping instruments, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because in a sibling band, and we realized this very early on, that if we were going to get along and um, work together, everybody needed to have their own space. So almost, it's almost as if instruments were forbidden. To the other members, like, if I want to piano, no one else played it. If I played mandolin, no one else played it. Because then, you know, we could excel in our own arena mm-hmm. and come together. And um, what we excelled in complemented uh, each individual to create this weird kind of conglomerate of ability, I guess. Yeah. But, It was a funny thing. And we've come such a long way since then now. Sarah and I share guitars and banjos and things like that. You guys are
0: growing. Yeah. Get out of my space. Connor
1: will, like, teach me piano lessons now. But we've, you know, a lot of, you know, it's inevitable. There will be a lot of humbling that will take place in my life. But a lot of humbling has taken place. (laughs) Because any time you put yourself out there, you're bound to see, like, oh, God, I'm just not the thing that I thought I was. You know, like, wow, that person is like, half my age and way better than me, and that just kind of continuously happens, and then you sort of realize this wonderful reality that everybody is um, their own incredible individual, and they've, like, come to their own cl- conclusion artistically as a result of the way they were raised and the things yeah. that they excelled in and who they are. I that was That's been an exciting discovery over time for all of us, I think, and that it's made us... I, at least for me, I feel a lot freer to just offer what I have to people and not feel threatened by my inability or somebody else's ability.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, it's really easy to compare. I was talking about somebody, this to somebody the other day, but comparing your sort of beginning to someone else's middle of the journey, yeah. and, which is so, which happens all the time in this town because you meet somebody, like you said, who's half your age but is like twice as talented but they've also been playing since they were three or they've been you know or it's just this crazy or like the environment they were brought up in was just more conducive to playing 12 hours a day and
1: how wonderful is that I mean it's one of those Mm. things where you can look on and identify the difference and but respect them for that because I look at it and I'm like well man if I had had that extra time would I have been that dedicated so it's almost like to meet an individual that's that dedicated is uh, it's it is awe inspiring I'm like be your friend i know yeah learn how you what is your work ethic
0: i know yeah Yeah. do do you find that you primarily make friends with creative people yes you're drawn to creative people
1: yeah i mean i love all kinds of people i love i have a passion for like small scale sustainable farming Mm -hmm. so i love farmers and i get along really well with a bunch of different folks, but I'm usually drawn to like 65 year old individuals who have been doing this for a long time and have a lot of sage advice.
0: Do you feel like you were born in the wrong time?
1: Yes, very much so.
0: What, what time would you like to be born in if, you, or what time do you think you're from? If you want to ask that kind of <laughs> of a question.
1: Uh, I don't know, maybe, there are a couple different eras that I really identify with. Um, the late 1800s and mm. Uh, maybe the early '60s.
0: What is it about those two?
1: Um, the music from the '60s and the dress and the culture from the 1800s, late 1800s, yeah, and the just the photography and the, um, especially sort of the Edwardian period, the writing that was taking place then and the philosophy. Uh, Well, it's not like I know a whole lot about these things. It's just little glimpses that I get from reading Oscar Wilde or Lewis Carroll that intrigue me. And I'm like, oh, I I want to know so much more about that time.
0: Mm -hmm. Is that where you spend your time, (laughs) like, reading? When you read, is that what you (laughs) will go to?
1: Yeah, I'm reading uh, Oscar Wilde's uh, Picture of Dorian Gray right now. And it's extremely intriguing. I I enjoy his writing. But I just finished... um, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, mm-hmm. and that's that's hands down the best novel I've ever read. It really? It is probably the best novel there is. Like wow. It's just exceptional, and um, it's to, it's really important, I think, to surround yourself with good art, whatever it is. Like, if you're going to a museum to see a famous painting, um, that's soul-enriching, and it's the mm-hmm. same way with reading good literature. Like, I, I'm... I see it as an art form, you know, when you, the way people put words to carry together, like uh, J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, which is one of my favorite books. I found out about him because I found a quote online. <laughs> he said he was talking about refinement and he said, um, cut it down by half, leave nothing out. And at the time, I was just sort of starting to learn about the practice of refinement and or the art of refinement, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, that it quote, resonated with me so much. And I was like, I've got to know what the what this guy's story is. And I was like, oh, he wrote Peter Pan. And my friends had been telling me to read it. And I read it. And I read it three times because I loved it so much. It was just so beautifully written. And obviously it's a timeless story. But
0: um, It's interesting, those stories like that or even like Jane Eyre, like I read in high school, which is totally lost on me.
2: Yeah. You know, right? Peter Pan,
0: I read as a kid, totally lost on me. And it's like, and this, I said this about scripture too, like you can go back and be like, I know that story front to back, but uh, I had a guy on recently on the podcast who, who was uh, who just wrote a book sort of about Lent and the, and he basically I asked him about the how daunting it must be to write a book about like the most famous book but it, it, he said there's so many things that we sort of think we already know or, we, or we're like yeah, yeah yeah like you sort of you know you hear somebody start to tell an old you know parable or something and you're like yeah I know how this ends because you heard it a million times when you were a kid yeah. but if you read it with like fresh eyes as an adult it it, it holds so much more weight I feel like I love Absolutely. revisiting. You know, whether it's books or old music or or movies or whatever stuff that I sort of saw as a kid and seeing it now. Because there's so many things that will resonate with you just because you're in a different place in your life.
1: 100%, because you bring your experience to art, which is really interesting to me that that is part of the experience of art Mm -hmm. is bringing what you've gone through to it because then it changes the way that you perceive and relate to that art and how you like take it in i know it's it's that's what's most exciting about art to me is how incredibly impactful it is depending on what you've gone through in your life yeah not everybody will understand this book not everybody will understand this song but some people will some people will understand it later some Mm -hmm. people never will like some people will never fall in love Like, all these realities that you're like, is it really like that? Is that possible? Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't know what you're missing out on.
2: Hold a rose to the flame Like a coward My heart stays
0: I went through this period of where I sort of, for whatever reason, I've, I'm embarrassed by it, but I was I didn't wasn't interested in any music that wasn't being made currently for a long time, huh. and so I, I would go back a few years ago and started looking into. It's almost uh, similar to like you hang out with the kids on your block, and then one day you get old enough where you you, you, you like <laughs> hang out with their parents more because like you relate to them or whatever. And I have that way now where like there's people that I'm friends with in high school that are that I'll like see their parents now like back home or whatever and I'll get along with them more than you know it's just sort of the same thing where I, like looking back you sort of see what you kind of wrote off as sort of like well that's not for me and now it is just like hitting you in the face you know Paul, I use Absolutely. Paul Simon as an example all the time like he's one of those guys where I was like oh my gosh this guy wrote this thing in 1968 but it resonates with me now wow so strongly or whatever which, it is interesting which song Oh, my gosh, full records. Like, there are wow. full, like, Simon and Garfunkel records that'll do that. But even, like, he just put out a record, So Beautiful or So What, a few years ago that's, like, so, I think it's some of the best writing he's ever done. Wow. Which is, that's says a lot, because that's Paul Simon, and he's <laughs> made so many iconic songs and, and moments in, you know, music history. It's just crazy that art can, like, kind of transcend this whole... Uh, you know, space and time, and I, I, I say it all the time. that music is like my favorite form of time travel because of that. Because you can, you can go, you know, and also they can. Time, music can timestamp certain things in your life, whether it be painful or, or pleasurable. You know, you hear something that you heard when you were a kid or whatever. That's why so many people, I think, love, uh, the music that they loved in when they were younger so much. Like they'll listen to that the rest of their lives because we're always sort of looking backwards in yeah. a way or trying to reclaim that.
1: Absolutely. It's it brings back stirring memories. It's yeah. amazing. It's when really when you think awesome.
0: about your like growing up, is there any like records or that I mean you said the Beatles, but is there anything that just kind of when you like think of a snapshot of like growing up for Eva, like what what is the soundtrack to that?
1: It's crazy. There are three records. Uh one is Strength and Numbers, the Telluride session. That um album is like the soundtrack for living in Colorado for me. Mm. Like I always it reminds me of the beautiful uh, sunsets that I'd watch, like sitting up on the shed roof and things like that. Going hiking, everything there. And then my brother used to listen to this NPR station called Echoes, and mm. um, he would pull. He would hear albums on there, and then he would go and buy them. And we all really look up to our older brother. So when we were kids, especially, everything that he did was really cool. But he would find these beautiful soundtracks and um, there's one called Ranga and it's what you I guess you'd call new age music or something mm-hmm. but it's like no new age music I've ever heard. It's just beautiful and uh, I have that album on my phone Strength the Numbers on my phone and then this other album that my mandolin teacher gave me when I was really young. It's a album of African choral music called New Ancient Strings and it's just gorgeous it's just beautiful like I'll listen to it sometimes it'll make me cry and I have all of those on my phone uh always because when I do get homesick or when I'm sad or when I'm disconnected from you know working or whatever it is I can put those albums on and they immediately ground me like take me back to my home and I um they they evoke visuals like I see things when I listen to them in my head and it's a beautiful experience it's amazing to me that music has that kind of power over our senses and our mind. It just blows me away.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's like smells, too. Smells have that very... yeah. You know, I've walked into, you know, bakeries like, thousands of miles from where I grew up, but something just hits me in the same way. Like, oh, that's something that my grandmother used to make or whatever. It's wow. it's insane. The same thing with sound. My my dad is a professional trombonist, which a Whoa. lot of people don't, might not know. But uh, whenever I hear, the, tr- especially he's a jazz trombonist, so my, anytime I hear jazz trombone on anything, I can pick it out of, a, like, a, a, a full symphony. Uh, not jazz symphony. That wouldn't be a thing. But, you know, whenever you hear, like, in the background, in a store, wherever, yeah. I'm instantly sort of transport. I'm instantly like reminded of him and that's a thing I'll carry with me like my entire life. It's 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 just an it just reminds me of growing up in like the household I grew up, he was always practicing. So wow. So but that's a very specific instrument too. So it's fairly easy, but I love how it has the ability not even like a song or an arrangement but like one singular sound from wow. this piece of metal that was forged together to make it can turn, you know, if I think about it long enough, will make me cry. I mean, he's very much alive and fine, but it, it was just sort of like, you know, it makes me think about fondly of, you know, my family and stuff.
1: Oh, how It's amazing. That's so cool. How did having a dad who was a musician influence right, you? Yeah. Yes, I want to know. Um,
0: well, Eva, I'm <laughs> glad you asked that. <clears throat> no, uh, I mean, it, it influenced me in the biggest way, which was I grew up in a really small town in Arkansas. Not a lot of people were doing music, and I would say nobody uh, professionally is the only one I knew. And he, it was never considered odd, an odd choice to pursue a creative thing as a profession, because he was literally paying our bills by being a pro- professional musician. And I love it. So I, I never like when I started making that public declaration or whatever that I, like I didn't go to college. I just went on the road and and <gasps> neither did yeah! I. Yeah, <laughs> home school. Um, <laughs> but there was this...
2: drop out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, never wins. Go
0: to school, kids. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I feel like the need to say that. I said it once on stage when I first started touring that I didn't go to college, and I had a mom chew me out because she was like, my kid's deciding to go to college this year, and you can't, blah, 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 blah.
1: Oh, come now.
0: She was a little bit over the top. But I, I definitely understand. But, but there was, I mean, he gave me the, I, I've told him this several times, but he gave me the, the greatest gift by, I felt like such an odd duck, because when I would make, like I said, that public declaration that I was going to be a musician and I really wanted to make a go of it, everybody in the world we're like yeah right we'll see you in school in a year kid kind of thing like wow. that won't work and here i am 10 years later still doing it and i live in a town where every- when i found nashville it was it was like oh it was like walking into oz you were like oh everybody here is weird like me like we all you know <laughs> and they're like making a sustainable lifestyle like they're actually like living like paying their bills with this weird thing
1: incredibly inspiring
0: oh absolutely i,
1: I want to know how you came to be here
0: Oh, um, basically just outgrew my small town. I I I did everything you could possibly do in the arts in my area that I grew up in. I sure. like ran. A, I booked for a venue. I was a touring artist trying to do that. And then it just sort of got to the point where I came through Nashville enough that the friends that I made here were like, we're not letting you go. You need to move here kind oh. of a thing. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful for that because I'm kind of the guy who needs to be told, like, Okay, take the next step now. Or I used to be anyway. Like I'm better at kind of seeing it myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you have to be told like, okay, oh, I think you've done this enough. Like I think, yep. or even if it's just like, I think you've played that song too many times. Like <laughs> now I'm more like in, intuition can be born, or you also have to sort of learn it. I've had to learn how to be a little bit more intuitive to to things artistically and just like life things. Like maybe don't hold on to that because it's comfortable. Well, maybe you've sort of spun your tires enough. You know what sure. I'm saying? And like don't be scared to jump to this next thing because we're here to catch you or, like, we'll hear, if you fall, we'll, like, having that community is, like, you know, incredibly important.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So and you, I mean, you have, like, a, I mean, I, I, going back to the family thing, I mean, I, I'm sure you get, it gets brought up a lot, but, I mean, you sort of have these people who have known you forever and know you really well and intimately. So I'm sure that there is, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, is there, is there are there elements of, like, I I trust these people beyond beyond anybody else to kind of know when my best self is or my best as an artist or as a person like is maybe they can see it from the outside when you're not seeing it because you're too close to it as far as decisions go
1: that's such an interesting question I think especially for a family of artists because on the one hand uh I think the biggest thing It's hard for me to answer because the biggest thing I've been learning the last year has been how different we are and how little I understand about my sisters. Really? things that I thought I did understand and things I thought I knew about them that I didn't. And um, that really the light that's been shed on that is working with people on the outside. And it's, you know, um, in a sense, like this was one of the most eye-opening things that happened to me coming to Nashville and working here was that um i became a lot less threatened by my sister's ability when i heard other people talking about how great they were and like just openly acknowledging it so i'd be like over there working in the studio with brent and sarah would be in here recording violin mm-hmm. and he would say god she is such a great violinist and i i'd just be stunned for a moment and i'd be like god i never i'd never thought about that you know and much less thought to say it out loud much less thought to say it to her yeah you know what i mean and so um I think in a sense you underestimate one another because you're intimidated. But when you hear somebody like openly acknowledge um, your sister's ability, it's like it's freeing in a way because you're like, oh God, I really do admire that about her and, I, hmm. and it's like right to recognize beauty and excellence and all these things because that's what I'm striving for myself. So that was one of the most eye-opening things that has happened to me. I feel like I'm getting to know my sisters better through the eyes of other people. And I feel like the same thing is happening for me with them because we are, we have a better understanding now since, and every year it's, I feel like we get a better understanding of one another. Well, now. you guys
0: are always changing too. Cause you're, I mean, yeah. you're literally growing into the people you were always sort of meant to be. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Like we're
1: always yes. growing yes. And That's changing. why I feel
0: like we need to give ourselves a little bit more grace because yeah. it's so easy to, you know, make a snap judgment on, you know, I'm sure there are people to this day who made a snap judgment on my music and my person when I was like 22, starting out. Right. Who are like, no, I've heard his music, and I'm like, no, come back, things have changed. Hopefully, gotten better. Yeah, I was like, I, I'm better at this. I promise. I promise. Yeah, that's in, that's an interesting because I'm sure my my thought when I'm trying to like prepare for these or whatever, and I don't prepare as much as I should because I like sort of learning in the moment. But there is a. I'm I'm sure with family bands all together, the best person we're speaking to this, if there's like a question of like, so is there a competition like ever? Because you feel, you know, but that's an interesting take on that, like where you can sort of sit back and be like, no, I can't appreciate. Yeah. You know, these talents that I'm surrounded with. And like, you sort of like can take a little bit of pride in that, too, I'm sure. Like, Absolutely. Oh, yeah, she's killer. Yeah. Oh, and I she's mean, mine. <laughs>
1: you, I would be miserable if I hadn't discovered that. You know what I mean? Because... I not only would have been trying to hold them back, like out of jealousy, I would have been miserable traveling with them, knowing how great they were. I would have never been able to appreciate myself and like my own abilities and see it in the context. Like, it's amazing how the more that I've learned about them, the more I even sort of see my, in like how I'm inferior. Mm. And that that doesn't bother me because I can see also my role in the band is to sort of create a space for everyone. And that, that's what excites me most about creating music is like arranging it. And I can be like, well, yeah, I'm not, I would never say I'm the best player in the band. Like I might say I'm like the least player in the band, but I like the thing that I take pride in is that like I can, I can hear how to create space for everybody to do what they do. And I can do that because I appreciate what they do. Yeah. And I'm like open to it and I love it. And it excites me. It like creates that Sarah will play violin. It'll make me cry. You know, Hana will come up with a melody. It'll just like make me extremely happy mm-hmm. and I can't help but get excited about it and be like, how do I um, cultivate this? How yeah. do I nurture it? And that's like, that's kind of more what I feel like my role is.
0: Do you do most of the writing who does, or do you guys just sort of write together?
1: I do most of the writing, um, but we, it's a huge collaboration mm. because of course, like if I, if I start half a song or I bring a finished song in, we all like come together and talk about it and everybody writes their own parts. But even that is open to like, um, you know, four individuals discussing a single part and being like, what best um, supports like the violin in this moment? What best supports the piano in this moment? Is there ever any insecurity
0: of like bringing a song in where they're like, really? Get back in there and write a good song. (laughs) That would be my, because I mean, when I write, i just a solo artist, when I write by myself and I start showing it to like my trusted friends, there is, like they can say all they want, but it's up to me to make that decision. But if you bring a song to the group and and they're like, eh, I mean, we can make it work. Is there that fear or do you or is it just more where you guys are on the same wavelength? So you kind of know you're all headed in the same direction. You're just the limb that, you know, create or it helps sort of, you know, create it initially.
1: I think we're all really um, <laughs> I'm trying to find a good word I was going to say in tune with one another and this idea that... that's a good pun. I I know. I was trying not (laughs) to use it, but I couldn't come up with an alternative. (laughs) We're in (laughs) such (laughs) harmony. No, I mean that in the sense of like, we, it's almost unspoken. When something doesn't work, we can all feel it. We're like, Mm. yeah, this really isn't working usually. And I mean there are definitely disagreements about that but they're they're always resolved over time it always proves itself over time to be either a good song or bad song a good concept or a bad concept and when you have four people examining it it's like under the most serious scrutiny because there's no which is excellent there's really i think there's no way for weakness to escape sometimes it's just like hunted down and like well i don't like this well i don't like this well i don't like this and but everybody's like you're right because we have this rule where if somebody doesn't like something or somebody wants to try something we have to it's it's just the way that we work because that could be the best alternative and you don't know until you try it's all hypothetical until you do it so we when we're putting songs together when we're writing, we have to try everybody's idea because it might be the best idea.
2: Smile
0: Been doing this lately where I, I will just be driving around or doing housework and i'll think like oh that's i should ask that to the next person that i <laughs> talk to on the podcast and i don't usually know who that is so i've just written down a bunch of random uh topics or questions and i'm i'm gonna choose one at random
2: this is great
0: and give it to you i don't there was, this wasn't meant for you um <laughs> but it might be let's see what would be a good one hmm some of these are basically just my insecurities one of them is, are you aware of people who don't like you? I don't know. what That was at, like, 1 in the morning, probably, when I was the oh, most insecure. Um,
1: that is a good one.
0: I think I, I'll, I'll ask you this one because this is one I've been thinking about lately where I think that I'm, like, an intelligent person, but I'm also, like, full of crap. And I'll explain what I mean. <laughs> um, I think I'm a smart guy, and I, and I think overall I, I am because, you know, I've, I've lived this long. Um, but when I watch a documentary... The question is this: Do documentaries work on you? Is a thing I've been thinking a lot lately. Which mm-hmm. is when I watch a documentary about something, especially if it's more like informative, sort of like a like one of those like food documentaries on Netflix, where it's sort of like teaching you how bad fast food is. When we were talking about food a minute ago. Uh, will you sort of be like, that's now my viewpoint, or <laughs> and sort of in the next five days, you're like the you're the guy to go to for this like you know, this topic, like, well, I just saw a documentary. Or if you read a book, you know, are you easily swayed by that? Or do you, can you come with your own to be kind of like BS detector and be like, I don't know if this is totally right. Because I'm so easily swayed. You know what I mean? I'm so easily swayed. But if I see a, like a documentary that's convincing, I'm like, maybe that's the way it is, you know? And that's like the, my brain being sort of, you know, bullcrap sometimes. <laughs> This is so random. No,
1: I relate to that 100%. And I will say my BS detector has um, grown as I've grown to the point where now I do question things. But prior to that, if it was was anything that looked to me credible or sounded to me credible, I would adopt it at once. If I agreed, Mm. you know, if I would be like, oh, yeah, that makes absolute sense. Like, why would we do that to our bodies? Or, oh, yeah, I had no idea that... Um, Shamu
0: is being this like he Shamu is you know <laughs> being sadly you know uh, mistreated or whatever right you know
1: well there's a philosophy that I adopted a few years ago after reading a George MacDonald book mm-hmm. um, it's a children's book his writing is so brilliant and his children's writing is my favorite but um, there's a a book called I believe it was in the Princess and Curdy, and um, there's a point where this woman is talking to this little girl. And uh, the the woman, I think, is sort of represents Jesus in this story. And the little girl goes into this cave and is able to save a boy because of what this woman told her. And when she tells the boy how she saved her, he wants to meet the woman. When he goes to meet her, he can't see her. And he insults the little girl and tells her that, you know, she was bad for lying to him and all this stuff and leaves the room. And the little girl is crying and talking to the wise woman about it. And um, she says how you know how could he treat me like that it's so wrong and she says something to the effect of um, you know we all want to be understood but it's best to try and understand others and she explains why the little boy couldn't see her and for whatever reason like my guard was totally down that day when I was reading that book and it just sank in so deep and I was like man let that be my philosophy on life so Now, when I watch a documentary or something like that, it may be a subject that I never agreed with, that I'm even biased towards because of my upbringing or whatever. Mm. I, like, I go into it with that perspective of, like, okay, I want to understand where this person is coming from. And I want to understand this issue instead of just being, like, absolutely not. Anything that has to do with that is stupid and wrong. And, you know, we... People would call it open-mindedness. I right. guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. I
1: want to like. I want to have that level of open-mindedness where I'm like, wow, this issue is important to this person, and I want to know why. And um, at the same, by the same token, it's made me sensitive to the things that I do agree with. Where I'm watching a documentary about that, and I'm like, you know what? I wonder how much of this is true and how much of this is just spun to support this issue. Because I kind of get tired of um, being in arguments. Um, not arguments, conversations with people where they agree with me 100 percent and we're just sitting back there like sharing the same ideas. It's very dull and it's very unsatisfying. But when I go out and I have a conversation with somebody that I, you know, i would never considered their perspective or I don't agree with them, it's much more enriching and fascinating. So I don't know. Yes, my BS detector has gone up. But at the same time, I like trying to have an open mind all the way around, but not be an idiot.
0: That's so, what a great answer. I've, I've found the same thing. I'm trying to m- be more like, especially if I see somebody that's passionate about something, yeah. I'm just really encouraged and turned on by passion. I just want to see, I like, I can listen to anybody do a Ted talk or whatever right. about anything. Cause I'm like, yes. I just like seeing people fired up about the things they love. And I, whether I have a genuine interest in it or not, I like watching that because that passion inspires my passion for what I, I'm passionate about. And, uh, there but the the i i have this longing i have this great understanding of my own limited viewpoint from mm-hmm. where i came from and a lot of people in in my same situation that i grew up with are sort of completely closed off to that and i don't i just want to be more understanding of people's journeys and people's experiences and knowing that There isn't a a question of, like, who's right and who's wrong, but just, like...
2: Absolutely. Like,
0: I just want to... Yeah, and people just... We just want to be understood. And know, like, the things that we think and say have some kind of validity, you know? And and a lot of times, that's just lending an ear sometimes when somebody (laughs) has something they really want to... If somebody's really passionate about, like, a font, which there's a documentary about that, (laughs) like, I want to lend an ear to that, um... (laughs) I, I in, the, in the show with the, a lightning round, so these are very, these are all non sequitur questions, and you can answer as uh, much lighter than a lot of things we were just talking about. But uh, you can answer, um, take as long as you want to answer. Lightning round isn't mean, meaning to like, like, all right, put the clock on, let's get going. Do you have a, do you guys or you have a surprising musical influence?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if there's anything really surprising today about musical influences because <laughs> I know. we have, you know, you've we already like mentioned some good ones on I never would have thought. iPods and Spotify, we can listen to whatever we want, it's whenever true. we want.
0: But if somebody heard Shell and then you mentioned this artist or this type of music, would would they put the correlation together?
1: This is such a good question, and I'm going to have such a disappointing answer. I should have set these <laughs> questions ahead of time. <laughs> uh, Sia, but I don't feel like that would be that surprising. I love pop music. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll I'll turn on some t swizzle I'll turn on some Lady Gaga, some Katy Perry. I feel like pop
0: music's really good right now.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting to me because what I love would be like the Everly Brothers, the Beatles, the Who, Mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin. And to me, those recordings, those songs, have this substance where I can turn them on and listen to them, and I literally feel like my mind is being nourished. Pop music doesn't do the same thing for me. Pop music is like the lollipop of my it diet. It totally
0: is. Where That's like, why it's called like, pop.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'll, like, taste it, and I'll be like, oh, that was pleasant, but I shouldn't you have to." You can't it live much. on that. Yeah, no. That's a good point. Totally. So, um, but, yes, pop music definitely. I'm very interested because that was the popular music of that time. You know, I'm, of course, fascinated by what the popular music of our time is. Mm-hmm. As, you know, an artist, you can't help it. No. So. I'm,
0: we're all, I, yeah, I can't help myself. Like, I'll, I usually use it twofold. Uh, where I'll put on like a Spotify or whatever, like the top 100 songs in the country are, and then go for a jog to that because wow. first off, it helps because it's all what like four study. on the floor. But it's also <laughs> like I want it's a good it's a good window into sort of you know nobody else can hear that I'm listening to it. It's it, I feel like we have to sort of be at least a little bit aware if we want to remain somewhat relevant. Yeah, at least you don't have to be influenced by it, but like kind of check in and see what's going on. You know. Yeah,
1: and I say Sia is she's almost different for me because. Hey, I love her songwriting and her melodies are just really like out there, but her voice her just voice thrills is me to no ends. Amazing. Know her. Yeah, yeah, it's something about it that I just can't get over. So
0: That's a good one. I definitely <laughs> think you guys should should adopt her hairstyle as well. Oh, uh, the just boss. the front bangs like yeah. yeah. I um, love it. She's
1: like, um,
0: amazing. What do you Okay, this is random. What do you associate with the name Keith?
1: It's my father's middle name. Are you serious? Yeah.
0: That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> that makes me happy. I'm, I'm going to take a super cut of everybody I've asked that question to and, and and tally up how many people have said. Usually people say like Richards or Urban. Yep. But I love it when it's somebody in your life where it's like, yeah, that's my brother or whatever. Your dad's <laughs> middle name, Keith.
1: Yep. What does your dad do? He's a songwriter, Is he? um, a singer-songwriter. That's how we all got started.
0: I figured just by the things you've told me that he had to have been yeah. like some sort of artistic person, photographer something. There's something, yeah. Just the way you've spoken about him.
1: He's mostly a farmer now. Like, he does small-scale sustainable farming, but he still writes and plays guitar and stuff, and he spent a lot of time just rearing us to become artists. That's (laughs) great. You know, that takes no small amount of energy and patience. (laughs) Poor girls? No way. Uh, Uh, He's been
0: farming, you you guys. Um,
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: (laughs) Who was your first celebrity crush?
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, well, the Beatles. Really? Yeah, I was six, and... um, well, no, this is okay. This is weird. I don't know if this counts. Before the Beatles, I had a huge crush on Marvin the Martian from the Totally Brothers. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why. What is it about I was, him? I was in love with him. I don't know. I loved his comment and like, his voice. And I was he's like, He's very quirky and confident. When I grew up, I went to be, I went to marry Marvin the Martian. And I was still young enough where, like, I didn't under, sure. quite understand just like, that he was a cartoon and I could never, like, be his wife. But I was like, I will, like, <sighs> Yeah. Cook his dinner and, like... <laughs> Have his green his children. <laughs> that that was a me- weird one. But I then, remember, immediately, I, I saw the Beatles, and I was in love with Ringo and Paul. Ringo? And yes. Oh, my gosh. I loved Ringo. I was sure we were going to get married, and I had... I didn't know, like, that the Beatles weren't together anymore or anything like that. Yeah. I imagined us all, like, living in a house together, and I was going to marry Ringo or Paul. I, I remember that,
0: that thumbing my through my, my dad's records and not understanding that these were from a long time ago, you know? Yeah. Or just like, oh, no, these, you know, it's so strange now looking at it, people are like, oh, they, they were my age, you know, when they were <laughs> making these records, but now they're grandparents, essentially. <laughs> that's such a strange... I love the mind of a child. That's some, that's amazing. Uh, what do you say during sound Check. Check. <laughs> I walked into that one. Sometimes
1: I'll, I'll recite, we used to recite the, um, have you ever seen the Emperor's New Groove? Yeah, of course. You know it's that amazing. part where he's like, oh, my shoulder angel. And the devil starts on, he's like, don't okay, listen yeah. to that guy. I had that whole monologue m- memorized and I could recite it on. That's on a stint. really he's good idea. to lead you down the path of righteousness. <laughs> I'm going to lead you down the path that rocks. <laughs> That's I'll an amazing,
0: <laughs> no, keep going. That's incredible. Th- that's an amazing movie that most people don't really, it was sort of in so like the the, the the valleys of when Disney was putting out stuff. And yes. I feel like that, if that came out now, it'd be like as huge as like the Lego movie or whatever, because it, it's so clever. <laughs> the Lego
1: movie was so good. It is
0: amazing. I'm not going to lie. Might have watched it yesterday. Um, okay. So uh, that's great. I love the soundtrack question because it's such a strange thing that we have to like pre-perform. There's that, uh, do you feel that urge? Like, okay, to do something? Because there might be, there's somebody in the venue.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's that kind of like, what do I do? Do I think of a clever thing to say? Do I just be boring? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I feel so much pressure to sound check, which why I play a lot of house shows now, and I love it because there's no need to sound check. I'm just a dude in a guitar in a living room. But there is that you pressure. You know,
1: usually I'll just say, check, check, and then sing. Because that's what they're wanting to what hear anyway, sing, right? Oh, whatever. I'm comfortable with singing at that moment, you know. <laughs> have I warmed up? Have I not? You never know. Yeah. So I try to sing something that's safe that won't, you know, my voice won't crack too much.
0: I know. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst when you pick up the wrong key, too, and you have to... You're like, oh. Um, what what we just talked about, and this might be the answer. What TV or show or movie do you quote most frequently in your everyday life? Oh
1: my god! Is it Ember's New Groove? Oh, there are so many.
0: I know being on the being on the road Jeez. as a band. I love asking that question because there's stuff that you guys watch in the van, or like you you, you guys have like a thing.
1: <laughs> there's an episode of The Office where um, Dwight offers um, Steve Carell's character. Gatorade and mm-hmm. they're like on this mission that's like the stupidest mission ever of course but he like takes a big swig of blue Gatorade and then he's like here replenish your fluids <laughs> and so we say that to each other all the time <laughs> we'll be like sharing a water bottle and we'll be like replenish your fluids yeah that just cracked
0: me I, I was on tour with the band a few years ago when we watched season three of The Office like <laughs> basically just on a loop in the van so there was a lot of like onstage banter of of quoting it or like like when, like specifically when Andy and Jim are on a trip or whatever, and he's like, "Hey, bear me that, bear me that CD." He just bear me to everything. He's like, "Bear me that disc over there." He's like, "What? What are you?" Yeah. So, anyway. well,
1: have you ever seen any of the Hayao Miyazaki films, Mm-mm. like Spirited Away? They're like, oh, no, I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh, they're the most amazing films, but they're so weird. And there's this one part where um, the main character girl goes into a room and there's a giant baby buried in all these stuffed animals, and she goes to hide in the stuffed animals. And um, she finds this huge baby, and the baby's, like, trapped in this room. It's this big nursery or whatever. And th- the baby doesn't want to be left alone, so she's trying to convince the girl to stay. Mm-hmm. And she grabs her by the arm, and she's like, play with me or I'll break your arm. And um, it's just, like, the most creepiest thing. But
2: <laughs> That's terrifying.
1: <laughs> it really was. But sometimes I'll be, like, joking around with Liza, and I'll want to do something, and I'll be like, play with me or I'll break your arm. <laughs> That's her most popular Don't quote right now. Does she know what that
0: means? Yeah. Okay. She, That'd be really weird. first time I did
1: it, she lost it. And, the, you know, it goes on and the baby's like, <laughs> so crazy. Keep
0: going. I love this
1: there's a point where the baby's like if you don't play with me i'll cry and mama will come in here and she'll kill you and so i'm like what is this movie carry on with liza it's amazing i mean granted that's the american translation because it's japanese so it's really like highly dramatized but there's a whole (laughs) monologue that goes on with it so if liza will like not come and like play music with Uh me i'll just i'll just recite the whole monologue to her it's amazing and she'll just lose it (laughs) What it's my favorite thing to quote right now.
0: As I love horrible that. Horrible as it is, I love how specific like these <laughs> questions, the answers to the questions can get. I always uh, ask the guest to end the the podcast with they share with us a embarrassing or bad show story. Do you when somebody asks you like, "Hey, what's the worst gig you ever played? Whether it's your fault or the venue's fault or something that happened," do you have? Like an answer that came to mind. I can see your your wheels turning.
1: Yep, it's still the worst show that I've ever done. Yes, and um, and it was when we just started touring, and uh, I remember my dad at the time saying it would be the worst. It would probably be the worst show we've ever done. Um, It was a venue they'd asked us to play. I don't know what it was. It turned out to basically be a homeless shelter, but they didn't tell us that. And they told us that, like, it was this great venue and there's a great walk-in crowd and all of this. Mm. And we went there and um, there was they were serving horrible cafeteria food and they served us the food, but they didn't tell us that they were charging us for it. So they just, like, served us food and then charged us. And I, like, I was going there and I was like, man, I'm just not feeling good. And I ended up having some kind of horrible food poisoning
0: Oh no. and um,
1: I think two people showed up but my my dad thought it would be best if we played the show anyway so like in between songs I would just like go into the bathroom and like lose it no and then go out and like play my parts and then when I wasn't playing I was just like from the food that
0: you paid for no I don't (laughs) know what it was probably
1: before that because I was feeling it like as I went there and I have no idea what it was but then like when I wasn't playing songs I was just curled up in the fetal position on the ground on the stage while everybody was playing to like two people it was so bad and it, it was awful yeah they charged us And it was quite a a sum for cafeteria food. We like, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. So yeah, that was probably the worst show we've ever played.
0: That's anything that involves getting sick while being (laughs) on this on stage is, is never a good, good. I mean, I've seen shows where full bands have gotten sick and that's rough.
1: The icing on the cake was the sound man. He was so mean. And I just remember that like he, he was so incredibly mean. And I was just like, I can't handle it.
0: Like you don't have to be mean.
1: Yeah.
0: Be, there's <laughs> only can't two people you here. See I'm dying? I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Well, thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely. And it's
1: been such a pleasure.
0: And that does it for episode 77. If you would like to check out Shell on tour, you can visit shellmusic.com. Plus, you can follow them on Twitter at I Love Shell Music or on Facebook.com slash I Love Shell. And I have it on good authority. You don't have to love them, technically, to visit those sites. But you will, because what's not to love? You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram uh, at WhoWritesPod plus facebook.com slash stuff. Uh, we didn't do it this week, but tell me what you learned this week. I want to know what's going on in, in that world of yours. Uh, and I'll share mine as well uh, next week. Really great episodes coming up. I'm really excited for you guys to, to hear what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, thanks for listening. For episode 77 and Who Writes This Stuff, I'm Nick Flora. I go to something creative we we'll